We hear the words and the works of our Savior Jesus today in the Gospel, coming from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, verses 21 through 23. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. The one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to Christ. Please take a seat. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When's the last time you anointed something? Did you wake up this morning and, and, and declare, I shall now anoint this pan with oil as I scramble my eggs for breakfast? Or, or when you go to the beach, do, do you get out in the sun and say, I will now anoint my pale skin with SPF 50 sunscreen. I don't think you do. If you do, that's kind of weird. We, we don't really talk about anointing anymore. Uh, we, don't, we don't really anoint people or things. Anointings is not a, not a thing we do these days. Anointing, you know, it seems like something reserved for kings and Old Testament prophets but it has nothing to do with you and me. However, the Bible, and in the Bible, anointing is kind of a big concept. It comes up frequently. And in case we forgot, the name Christ means the anointed one. And that Christ, because of that anointed one, actually you and I, we are tied into an anointing of our own, too. Today, we get to look at the anointing of Jesus at his baptism, and that means we also get to explore an anointing that took place for us. Because that's essentially what your baptism is, an anointing not only with water, but also an anointing with the Holy Spirit, an anointing with the forgiveness of Christ's cleansing sacrifice. And maybe... You don't feel like you're all that special or noteworthy. But what God decrees about you at your baptism differs from what your eye sees. And this is something that really God is kind of in the habit of doing, of decreeing things that are different from what our eyes are seeing. 
And I think you kind of see this come into play with uh, John the Baptist, that, that confusion about him maybe being the Messiah here in Luke chapter 3. Right? What, God, or what, what our eyes see differs from what God decrees. What I mean by that is, if you, you know, at this point in time look back, you, we, we know Jesus is clearly the Savior. He is the Messiah, that anointed one. And maybe it's kind of hard for us to fathom why all these people would think John the Baptist was the Christ, the, the anointed one they were waiting for. But maybe see things from the Israelites' eyes. Maybe put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite around 30 AD. Think of what this would have looked like. The people at that time were clinging to the hope that maybe, just somehow, there could be this big turnaround for their nation, a return to the glory days of King David and Solomon, which seemed like such a long time ago. I mean, a thousand years ago at this point. The people didn't have a lot to cling to. There wasn't a whole lot going on for them to really get excited about at this point in their history. But now here comes John. And all of a sudden, he, he's, they, they get a sense that he's giving them a glimpse of something big that is in the works. And they start wondering, well, maybe, maybe this John the Baptist is the one who's going to upset the status quo and make some big changes on our behalf. And so, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And again, I think it kind of makes sense they thought this. I mean, John the Baptist was a powerful preacher. He lives a unique lifestyle out in the wilderness. It was catching people's attention. It was different. He had a large following. And you look at the things John says. Right? He brings down the heat on the elite of that day. Right? He, he calls out those corrupt Jewish uh, religious leaders from Jerusalem who come up. He says, they're a brood of vipers. The people kind of liked that. And he's not afraid to call out the Roman's puppet, King Herod, for his adultery and all his evil ways. John was bold. And the people start thinking, maybe he's the answer to our deepest hopes. The one to come and, and take Israel back to us. To, to be that long-awaited Messiah, but only in a political way. And of course, that's something that, that Jesus gets mistaken for again and again in his ministry too. That he's coming just to be a political savior, a political Messiah to restore Israel. Of course, John, John the Baptist, he could have played into this and said, yep, I'm the guy, I'm the anointed one, but he, he didn't. Instead, John the Baptist says, hey, one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John's saying, if you think I'm something, just wait till you see the actual Messiah, the anointed one, come. But then when Jesus did come... <laughs> and made his appearance, people still, well, they didn't like what their eyes saw. He didn't live up to their expectations. They compared Jesus to John, right? Jesus, a carpenter's son from a small town in Nazareth. At this point in uh, you know, Luke 3, Jesus, he has no following. John has a large following. Jesus has not started his ministry. He's a complete unknown. And even once Jesus makes his public ministry that gets it started, well, still, people always kind of felt like Jesus should be more. He should push more. 
and be that political messiah they were all waiting for. The people weren't always as much interested in the salvation of souls that Jesus was really coming to bring. That didn't excite them quite as much. And you remember, maybe, even John the Baptist, later on, he kind of has some doubts, and he even asks Jesus at one point, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Even John had those doubts when he saw Jesus not quite matching up with his expectations either. He had to double-check, because what people saw in Jesus was not what they we're expecting to see. And I think there's this kind of very interesting flip-flop in expectations between the people of Jesus' day and people of our day. Very different expectations for Jesus now as compared to back then. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, right? The Jews of that day, they're looking for a fiery figure like John, someone who's going to come to bring heat on the elite, a powerful political figure, and so when Jesus comes, they feel like he's too ordinary, he's too humble, he's, he's too uninterested in being a powerful political figure and a leader. And I think what the people of that day were looking for is completely opposite now of what I get the sense a lot of people today want Jesus to be. Maybe you're like me and you get the sense that I think more and more Americans, we would love to see a Jesus who's really more of a, hippie Jesus, one that, that doesn't come to confront sin, but one that kind of, you know, puts up the peace sign and hang loose sign and just, he's our buddy, our pal, and uh, we, don't, we don't want a Jesus who confronts that sin. We don't want a Jesus who comes to separate the chaff from the wheat and bring judgment like John was talking about. We want a kumbaya Jesus. And let's be clear, Jesus is the Biggest expression of God's love out there. The biggest expression of God's love possible. There's no denying that. But I think it's also just realizing as you read the Bible, right, Jesus, he's more than just some pushover hippie. Jesus does sometimes come and bring heat on those who think they are secure in their own righteousness. Jesus does come to address a very, very real, serious problem the problem of our sin. So Jesus, not just to push over hippie, he comes to, to do the things that need to be done and address the sin that needs to be addressed. There's that side of Jesus too. I think the reason we want a Jesus who's a hippie kumbaya Jesus is again because we don't want to confront our own sinfulness. We don't want to open our eyes to see that. I mean, who, who would want to, to open your eyes to see that? Maybe we, we'd rather open our eyes more to see the sin in others. We want, we want to point that out in others. It's very easy for our eyes to, to look at, man, how, look how sinful these other people are, not like me, thinking, well, you know, God, by comparison, as he looks at me compared to some other people out there, he, he might be okay with what I'm doing. I'm not quite as bad. But what our eye sees about our sin differs from what God decrees about it. He says sin is sin. And there's, there's no loopholes in God's law that 
that some of us can hope to maybe kind of skim by unnoticed, no matter how out in the open or swept under the rug our sins might be. We're all in the same boat. And because of our sins, God decrees consequences, right? The wages of sin is death. The resulting consequences of our, of our sins ought to be eternal separation from a God who has no sin and tolerates no sin. Thrown like chaff to the fire. And this is why Jesus' baptism matters. This is why Jesus had to come to fulfill all righteousness for you and me. This is why in Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, when John asks Jesus, hold on, shouldn't you be baptizing me? Shouldn't this be the other way around? This is why Jesus says, let it be so now, John. Baptize me now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus getting baptized means he's signaling to us that he is ready to take on his role as our Savior to fulfill all righteousness in our place. Just like a king be anointed with, being anointed with oil, at his baptism, Jesus is anointed with water, anointing him into his office as the anointed one, the Savior, the Christ. And yet you see another anointing going on here at his baptism. We see the Holy Spirit coming down upon him, anointing him. We see the, the heavens open up and, and the Lord's voice boom down. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Another sign of Jesus anointing into his office. And if anyone was there that day and had a, a working knowledge of the Old Testament, maybe they would have made this connection. Some words from Isaiah that were designed just for a day, a moment like this at Jesus' baptism. Right? The, Isaiah says that the Lord says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. And you look at his baptism in Luke 3 there, it's the same thing going on. It's really cool. We see almost the same exact words get boomed down from heaven, the same kind of languages used there. At his baptism, we see the spirit literally being put upon Jesus, descending onto him in the form of a dove, just like Isaiah talks about here. And it's very clear now. The anointed one has come. Not Jesus, or sorry, not John, but Jesus is the Christ. And he's anointed really to three different offices on our behalf. We actually sang about it in that song, Christ Begins Today, that he's anointed as our prophet, our priest, and our king. We kind of need him to be all three of those things. He's anointed as our, our prophet to be that one to bring good news from God to to broken sinners like us. He's anointed as our priest, that go-between, the mediator between us and our Father, and more than that, also anointed as the sacrifice himself that the priest offers for the cleansing of sin. And he's anointed as our king, not an earthly political king like the Jews wanted, but the king of righteousness whose throne never passes away, who offers perfect protection for his people. By getting baptized, Jesus shows his uncompromising solidarity with God's purpose. The salvation of sinners 
like you and me. By his appearing, by his anointing at his baptism, by his epiphany, we are saved. And at his anointing, at his baptism, we also see how we are tied into an anointing of our own. Because we see a glimpse of what happens at our baptism when we see Jesus baptized. What our eyes sees at our baptism is just water running over someone, but, but what God decrees at our baptism is something so much more. We are forgiven sinners, washed clean in Christ's sacrifice. And there is one big difference, maybe, between our baptism and Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, he went in clean, and he came out marked for death. Now, our baptisms, we go in marked, and we come out clean. So that what our eye sees is different from what God decrees. Forgiven children of his, we belong to him because of Christ and his anointing at his baptism and his sacrifice on our behalf. And so really it is exactly what Pastor Paul wrote to Pastor Titus when we get baptized. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, a reference to our baptism there. The Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are decreed clean and innocent in God's eyes at our baptism. We hear the same decree spoken to us that the Father spoke to the Son at his baptism. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. And by right, our Father in heaven should never say the same thing about us that he says about Jesus, but that's the whole point. At his baptism, Jesus shows he's going through with his plan to be our sacrifice for sin so that we get to hear the same decree from our Father. You're my son, you're my daughter. I love you and I'm pleased with you. What our eye sees about ourselves and our sin differs from what God decrees about us in baptism. That your sins have been washed away. You're my forgiven child. And that means we could say the same thing that the kind of legendary Texan general Sam Houston said when he was baptized. The story goes that when Sam Houston came up out of the river uh, where he was baptized in Texas, one of his friends said to him, Well, General, all your sins have been washed away. Sam Houston replied, If that be the case, God help the poor fish downstream. Because that's what happens at our baptism. Our sins are washed clean of us far, far away, left for the fish. That's what happens at your baptism. Even though your eyes don't see it, it's what God decrees. Your sins are washed downstream far, far out of sight. And what all this means is that you and I really are part of an anointing today. At your baptism, you are anointed. Anointed not just with water, but anointed by the Holy Spirit who stirs and strengthens that gift of faith in your heart. At your baptism, you are anointed with that cleansing forgiveness of Christ's sacrifice. At your baptism, you are anointed into Christ and all his redeeming work on your behalf. In baptism, you are anointed into office. 
the office of the priesthood of all believers, which means you too go and share that good news of God's grace to broken sinners like yourself. See, God knew that we humans, we live on our senses. And so he connects his grace, power, and blessing to something we can see. Visible and concrete. The anointing waters of our baptism. And so, sons and daughters of your heavenly Father, go and enjoy living in that baptismal grace each and every day. Amen.